Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, J.D. Davis left yesterday's game after spraining his hand on a swing and the x-rays were negative. I know you're surprised that I'm not starting the podcast with something about Alex Rodriguez this week, but we're moving on. Or even a question. I, I don't even know how to res- respond, given that that wasn't posed as, a, you know, as something that needed an answer. I know the listener knows that you don't know how to respond, given the fact that you just left five seconds of silence, and I'm going to leave it in after editing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I only this only works if this is like Jeopardy style, where one of us asks a question and one of us answers. I have to say, I was disappointed mm-hmm. that he left the game for something that turned out to be a negative X-ray. So I was thinking, has the game gotten a little soft? And in my in my thinking about whether the game has gotten a little soft, I went to the old Google, and I searched, and I found an article from 2001, <laughs> and it's about how. A young Alex Baisley played through a hand sprain in his T-ball league in the Null Soul North Oakland, South Oakland Little League championship game. And I have to say, I think that you have something to teach these MLB players now. So I want to turn the floor over to you. And I want you to tell J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo, who left the game with a discomfort in his injured hip. How did you do it? You know, it was really, I got to say, it was really the snacks, actually, that kept me going. Uh, post-game orange packs, slices. Post-game snacks, yeah. Pre-game snacks. Those orange slices, those juice boxes. But really, it was just love of the game. You know, right. I cared too much to let something like a quote-unquote injury take me off the field, which is what I think maybe some of these major leaguers really need to learn and, to, and take stock of, right, is what really matters. Your body or the you know thousands of fans for whom you're playing in April in April right so do you think that the meds doctors know about orange slices do you think that they can give those to JD and Nimmo that is a good question Derek Jeter knew about orange slices I think he probably did and it helped him all the way until he broke his ankle orange <laughs> slices couldn't couldn't help him come back from that one um i think that they're just paid too much you know they're just paid too handsomely and therefore, they've lost the love of the game, and they just don't grit through it anymore. I would say like 85% of our listeners right now have no idea what we're saying. And they're just like, did the, did the switch flip? Have they, have they done it? It's all right. This one was for the 15% who know what we're talking about. Uh, we have a packed episode coming up. We are going to talk about Rob Manfred's interview on Sportico Live, talking about sports betting and the labor landscape. We're going to do some voicemails. We will be joined by Kyle Banduho of the From Phenom to the Farm podcast, as well as Big Screen Sports. Um, and then we're going to do three up, three down and close things out. But before we get to all of that fun stuff, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. Lord of the Orange Slices. And this is Tipping Pitches.
Alex, we have another installation in the long and storied history of Rob Manfred giving quotes to a media outlet and making the sport of baseball look like a comedy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he sticks to his guns. Every time this happens, I'm, uh, I'm shocked at the level of unforced error that it is. So I'll just, I'll back up a little bit and I'll give our listeners a little bit of context. So this past week, Rob Manfred, he went on Sportico live. Listen, I know what Sportico is and I know what live means. I don't know what Sportico live is. Is that a TV show? Is it a, is it a web program? What do you think? That's a, yeah. Is it like the, like Ted talk for billionaires? That's kind of what I think of it. (laughs) Yeah. For sports business, Ted talk for sports business. That's good. That's like this podcast. (laughs) Um, he went on Sportico Live. Again, still don't know what that is. But Bill Shaken of the Los Angeles Times was sort of chronicling his quotes as they were coming out. And <laughs> most of baseball's Twitter was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? So the first one I want to talk to you about is sports betting. Because we've been discussing this for the last couple of weeks. I mean, this, this whole season, really. Because sports betting is more in our faces than it ever had been up until this point in human history. So here's what Manfred said. Sports betting is a massive opportunity for fan engagement. Okay, that sounds like Rob. Then he went on to talk about how Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, told him to stop talking about pace of the game because baseball's pace of the game is perfect for sports betting, meaning wagering between pitches and innings. Alex, this is like Rob Manfred's like shibboleth. Pace of the game is like the whole thing. He came here to talk about pace of play. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about that since 2017, that he won't shut up about pace of play. And now, one other commissioner of another sport tells him, stop talking about pace of play, start talking about sports betting, and now we have to adjust? Always good when another sports commissioner has to come in and tell you to stop shit-talking your own sport, because maybe there's actually an opportunity in there. The fact that he said this so plainly on Sportico Live, again, don't know what that is. Refuse to find out for research for this podcast. It really felt like a whole, we've been working on this story for four years, and he just tweeted it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, you know, like, part of me reads this as him trying to signal to baseball fans that betting isn't necessarily the, the number one priority for him, right? That, like, he is still focused oh, on Oh, so on he's pace like, of- I'm with you. We're cool. Right. I mean, he's like, look, I'm focused on pace of play. I don't I don't want betting to, you know, dictate how I'm, you know, making changes to the game. Um, I, you know, to the point where another sports commissioner had to come in and, you know, hint, hint, like, give me a little bit of advice on what I would do if I actually just cared about the bottom line, which obviously he does. Um and and I think Manfred recognizes that. And he obviously has done nothing to like deal with pace of play so this is like a nice out for him right where he can be like oh well pace of play didn't didn't work we weren't able to speed up the game so we might as well just bring on sports betting throw the throw our good pastime to the hounds when the rest of us were like stop focusing so much on pace of play and start focusing on inclusivity. I don't think that we imagined him stopping the focus on pace of play because of sports betting. Like, I don't think that's what we were asking for. Mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I know that this is a trite and oversaid point, but it's just, a, it's just, it's annoying to like log on to Twitter on a Monday morning and just see the stewards of the sports that we love. You know, like my second favorite sport is basketball. So Adam Silver is also involved in this. 
it's just annoying to see the stewards of the sports that we love just literalize the exploitation of the sport in a way that is just a little bit too on the nose for me. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you have Adam Silver literally saying to Rob Manfred, forget about making the actual sport better. You can make more money here. So, like, <laughs> forget all the fans. Screw the fans. But then they also say out, the, out of the other side of their mouth, no, this is for the fans. Like, these, this is for the fans who want to bet on sports. And I'm like, that's still a really small minority. Yeah. You know, like, most people are not going to be betting on sports. Because they don't have enough money to bet on sports. Because guess what? The tickets still cost $100. <laughs> or if you want to go to a Dodgers game, tickets still cost $350. Which, uh, on that on that point, I just want to... This is a, a separate but related point that A-Rod uh, also uh, was a part of this Sportico Live conference. Is this, la- and is this the latest that A-Rod has ever come up in the pod? I it might be. Yeah, I thought about opening with this. Um, but he suggested that what if, um, as a way to make baseball games more accessible, more affordable, you have uh, dynamic ticket pricing where if, uh, if you, Bobby, want to leave the game in the fifth or sixth inning, you can sell your ticket to someone else for yeah. a fraction of the retail price. And then that person gets to see three, the last three or four innings of a baseball game for, for 30 bucks as opposed to paying $300 for a full baseball game. To yeah, which I, I think say we that is con- not, that's, not, that's not the issue. What we should do is be, um, we should pressure people into leaving games early <laughs> mm-hmm. because they spent too much on beer. Right. Or or say you don't want to spend a lot of money to watch a baseball game. Okay, but you're not going to get to watch the whole game. Sorry. You can only get the last two innings of this game. It's 20 bucks, but you only get two innings. Sorry. We need to have more things that are just flat rate. You know, more general admission <laughs> things in life. Not enough GA going on in the world. That's so what I miss about. True. That's one of the things that I miss most about concerts. I mean, most like desirable concerts, the general admission prices are just like insane too. Yeah. But I, I miss like going to a concert where everybody who went in there paid thirty bucks for the tickets, and yeah. then you just stand, you get there early, and you get the best seat. Okay, mm-hmm. you want to prove that you want the best seat? Get there. Make baseball stands bleachers, I think, is what we're saying. All just bleachers throughout the entire ballpark. They're just long benches. Box seats are a tool of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. I mean, like, literally. I mean, <laughs> you won't hear an argument from me on this. Um, I, to, to, to bring it back to, to Manfred's comment, I want to actually read uh, from our, our good friend, Craig Goldstein, who's the editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectus, who... I, As always, summarized this this way better, I think, than either you or I could. That's why he's the editor of Baseball Perspectives. That is why he's the editor of Baseball Perspectives. On this Zoom right here, doing this podcast for ourselves and our moms. Uh, he, he was discussing Sportico and why, you know, it as a medium that discusses the, the business of sports is really the perfect place for Manfred to, you know, be comfortable and talk about these issues at length. And really, yeah. that's kind of why he's showing his hand. Does Craig uh, know what Sportico Live is? Should we call him? <laughs> should we he come probably should it? ask him. <laughs> get him on the line. Um, he goes, it's why the way to get him to rethink whether pace of play is an issue is to point out that a slower game might be a more profitable one, even though he's spent years arguing the opposite. Uh, while Manfred has shown a mind for money, he's either never been able to differentiate what's good for business, broadly speaking, and what is extracting every last penny in the short term, or 
Uh-huh. He's always been willing to sacrifice the former for the latter. If the numbers were crunched and it was determined that adding four seconds between pitches enabled enough bets to make some money, you can bet that Manfred would go for it. It's the kind of bloodless dedication to optimization that earned sabermetricians a generation's ire, except that the victories are buried in hidden income statements. Bars. Absolute bars. Craig is pointing out something that I think that you and I talk about as a as a as the existential tension for baseball on this podcast quite frequently. It's something that we spent probably 30 minutes talking about when we went on more than baseball's podcast. The dichotomy of whether or not you are making the most money for baseball to look like it's healthy in the short term or whether you are taking a smaller gain in the present to then grow the game to be larger in the future, to be healthier in the future, to be I know I say this word all the time, more sustainable. I feel like we've said that word so many times that it's lost all of its meaning. But guess what? The game has to be sustainable in order to exist in 50 years. You know, like it, it it's not just going to get the benefit of the doubt of being America's pastime anymore. Most people have already looked it over as that. So whoever is in charge of the game right now has to think about the fact that baseball might be irrelevant in 50 years. You know what was really important 50 years ago that's not as important now? Boxing. (laughs) Horse racing. You know, like, there are these sports that have gone from, like, owning the slanderous to say that on the weekend of the Kentucky Derby. Who won the Kentucky Derby, Alex? (laughs) That's that's such a great question. (laughs) If this was 1950, you would know who won the Kentucky Derby. You would have got the Sunday paper this morning. Yeah, and we wouldn't be recording a podcast right now. Mm -hmm. You'd have your bowler hat on. You'd look great, by the way. You just the three piece to go to the to get a cup of coffee and a bagel in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean. Like baseball is on that track right now, and it's on that track right now because of short term decisions like this. Yeah, and and ultimately, I I think that Manfred realizes that he can squeeze every penny out of this. That he's able to as long as he makes it look like he you know gave it the old college try of trying to clean up baseball right as long as he can say well look i tried to do pace of play we implemented all these things it didn't work tried we, to we, do pace we, of play. we tried to do play <laughs> just tried to fix the damn thing you know we tried to do shifts uh you know we did x y and z and yeah maybe it didn't work but we created a more profitable ecosystem around baseball and at the end of the day isn't that all you can ask for the game's going to be what the game's going to be at least we're making some money off of it which i frankly like i don't know what's worse is it you know is it rob manfred tinkering the game to like absolute death so it resembles nothing like the sport that you and i grew up watching or is it just throwing it to the venture capitalists and the, you know, the sports betters and saying, make of this what you will, you know, turn this into into your thing. That's fine. (laughs) I don't know what's worse. What's so interesting is that where A-Rod slots into all of this is that he should be here to protect the integrity of the game because he is like one of the game's greatest players throughout history. Mm -hmm. And yet he's more occupying like the venture capitalists realm of all of this. This flexible ticket pricing. Come on, dude. That's so funny. Unless it's like $3 per inning, then that's not helping anybody. I know, I know. Um, okay, another thing that Manfred talked about in the Sportico live session, um, and then again, I'm reading from a Bill Shaken tweet. Thank you for transcribing this onto Twitter, Bill Shaken. Um, Bill Shaken famously listens to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Shaken tweeted, Rob Manfred on whether baseball will have a work stoppage next season amid contentious labor relations and negotiation for a new collective bargaining agreement. Quote, I believe, I really am optimistic that the process will work here. Alex, I'll take um, things you say when you're not sure it's going to work out for 800. <laughs> you just, you just got to trust the process. I believe the process will work here. Yeah. Because when you say, I believe the process will work here, there's like the invisible hand of the process that moves it along and just like does the work for you. Right. And you don't actually have to do anything. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, he, it'd be he like absolves if I got himself on of here, any culpability in, yeah, in that. It'd be, like, it'd be like if I got on here and just like didn't throw to you ever or like didn't respond to things you said. And I was just like, I believe the process of a podcast will work. You know, like podcasts have a process and it's that two people talk and the process is going to work out here. Well, and it's, I mean, you know, it's obviously a huge non-answer and none of them are going to really like tip their hands ahead of the or their you know outside of the or tip their pitches exactly outside of the kind of bargaining process um but it also suggests to me that manfred's kind of uncomfortable right cuz like if you really believe that you're in a good negotiating position then you come out and say that and you say i mean you obviously don't say we have a better position over the players but you come out and say no i'm really confident we're going to work out a deal like we've been having these great conversations etc the process will work itself out kind of sounds to me like there's going to be some sort of work stoppage until they can actually come to an agreement on something because that's you know what that is that's part of the process (laughs) i yeah i i agree and you know, if I was Rob, what I would do is I would be using these opportunities to sweeten the relationship back up a little bit. You know, I know that I like myself and the owners have overstepped several times in the last calendar year and tried to steal back some of the profits amidst the pandemic and tried to shoehorn in some of the things that we've wanted for a decade under the guise of, oh, pandemic, we need more profits in order to be able to pay and keep baseball profitable. Meanwhile, like every other decision that they're making, like the short-term sports betting stuff, is all making the game more profitable in the short term. So I don't know why they also need to, quote-unquote, win handily at the bargaining table in order to get their share of the pie. But that's a larger can of worms. If I was Rob, I would come out and I wouldn't be saying, I really am optimistic that the process will work here. I'd be saying, like, I have nothing but respect for the player side of this negotiation I believe that we will come together and collectively figure out what is the best thing for baseball in the future. But like just be giving such a hardcore non-answer like this and then refusing to say more about what the process actually entails on your side, meaning coming to the table in good faith. Like you notice how he's not like, I, I don't have the full transcript of everything that he said, but you notice how he's not coming forward and being like, here's what the process is. Here's what we need to do. And here's what we hope that the players will come and say. I mean, the management side never does that in negotiations like these because they know that they have the benefit of, frankly, like a hundred years of PR on their side of fans rooting for them instead of the players. But again, we're 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 like nine months away from this thing blowing up, and nine months is not a lot of time in labor negotiating time. Like that is not a long timeline to make this thing work. So. You know, I don't want to overreact too much to this short quote that he gave in Sportico Live. I'm still not sure what that is. But 
it's just not the type of encouraging sign to see that Rob Manfred's like, the process will work itself out. Or maybe it is an encouraging sign, you know? Maybe it maybe that means we're headed for a, a chaotic offseason where players exercise their uh, their the value of their labor at the negotiating table and just fucking gut baseball's economic landscape. I'm not, you know, not holding my breath, but I I I'm I'm not praying for labor peace necessarily. That's yeah. Sure. Alex said I'm ready to gear up for a war, baby. <laughs> Let's do it. If the players decide that that's what they want to do, I will fully support them because there is a reason that they have decided that. I ultimately think that there is going to be some sort of compromise deal on the grounds that Jeff Passan like loosely outlined in his piece last week. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get to. Just a couple voicemails. I mean, we, we have a packed podcast again this week, Alex, but we're going to get to a few voicemails and then we'll bring in Kyle Banduho after that. You ready to play some? Let's do it. Hey, boys. Long-time listener, first-time caller out here from LBC, the home of Snoop Doggy Dog. Uh, just watched Mookie Betts make the most amazing game-saving grab I've ever seen in my life. It, it, like, he... He was so good that he got in front of it. He didn't catch in the netting. He caught it in the palm. He was too fast for the ball. But anyway, just having a beer and happy that, oh, my God. But do you think the guy we can't mention signing with the Dodgers is going to be recognized like Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors? I don't know. That's just been on my mind recently. But, yeah, have a good night, boys. You take this one, Alex. Kevin Durant, that's your boy, right? Warriors legend, Kevin Durant. Alex is a Warriors fan for all of the people who have never heard us talk about how he's from Oakland. <laughs> uh, but you're like a real Warriors fan, though. You're like Baron Davis era. Fucking Monte is your boy. Right, exactly. Jason Richardson, Jay Rich. Like, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Back when they were the uh, real Warriors. Right, exactly. We believe, baby. Um, I, you know, I've... I really hope that that's not how this turns out because you want to know what happened when Durant went to the Warriors? I mean, they won. won We got a ring. They won a bunch of championships. So we're kind of worked out in their favor. Uh, Both sides of the deal got a a good one. Let me just Um, remind you, we're before the 45-minute mark, so don't don't say his name because I don't feel like busting out the bleep button this week. Absolutely not. I mean, there's what is there there to say, you know? I hope hope this one goes south. that's kind of literally kinda and it. figuratively south to San Diego. The World Series rings go south to San Diego from Los Angeles and to yes. our to our beloved Fernando. Right, exactly. And any and any careers that are associated with with that uh, with that journey. Hope they hope they're uh, you know. I hope that I hope that uh, those go south as well. Uh, please, like if you can just sneak a Snoop Dogg reference into a call. If you call in, that's, that's good. everyone. Yes. If, if you can, if there's a way to shoehorn it in, do it next caller. Hey guys, this is Steve, uh, Southern California native, first time caller. Uh, first off, thanks for the show. Love tipping pitches. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the angels broadcast situation. I know, We've all talked to death, the blackout situation, and even though I literally live across the street, I cannot watch the Angels because I will not buy whatever Time Warner or whatever TV package. But I think the Angels 
amongst all their problems uh, with, you know, things in the past and political things in the past and future and present and all that good stuff. But they did a very strange thing in signing Matt Vaskersian and announcing Matt Vaskersian as their play-by-play broadcaster, yet it has mostly been Darren Sutton calling the games. I was very excited when they announced Matt Vaskersian as our play-by-play voice, one of my favorites of all time. And uh, to replace a guy that I really liked in Victor Rojas, I uh, was very excited, but he's only called like three games at this point or like four games. And, you know, no knock on Darren Sutton, but he's not Matt Vaskersian. It's very strange. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he's actually our play-by-play guy or not. So I don't know if you're aware of that situation, but it is not good. Also, Artie Moreno and Kurt Suzuki are Trump supporters. Okay. Thanks, guys. I think everybody should pepper that in. Yeah, everybody should end all of their calls by listing the Trump supporters on their favorite team. Yeah, exactly. Alex, would you like to go o- for open, the A's? Open, open with a Snoop Dogg uh, reference. And uh, would I like to go for the A's? Uh, I can obviously the owner. Every owner was probably a Trump supporter. <laughs> Naturally, I can think of a at least one off the top of my head. I'm just gonna get to go Brandon back. Nimmo out there. Definitely, yeah, exactly. he's from Wyoming. He's very religious. Yeah. He hasn't mm-hmm. talked a lot about politics. I'm just gonna say. Um, yeah. I mean, I got you know. Once again, go look at go look at his, his campaign donations. Like it's right there, folks. Did Nimmo did Nimmo give money yeah. to Trump? Yeah, <laughs> like it's like just just objective truth. It's not even like speculation. He like just straight up gave money to Trump. Uh-huh, I'm uh-huh. so sorry, Steve. I know we're not answering your questions at all, but <laughs> we're just talking about Brandon Nimmo giving money to Trump. Um, Steve, thanks for calling. Um, I'm I'm pretty certain that this is Steve Granado, the host of a, a a wonderful podcast called Our Game about the history of Latinx players in baseball. Uh. But yes, let's talk about Matt Vaskarjan. Alex, do, do you want to share your feelings on Matt, Matty V? Steve is obviously a fan of him. I think that we are less so fans of him. I, I mean, Vaskarjan like, does, a, does a fine job calling games. I think he is hurt, neg- very negatively affected by the ESPN booth, which is really mm-hmm. chaotic and doesn't have a lot of chemistry. I can see right. how he would be a lot more appealing on a local broadcast, given that you have like the the comforting feeling of having him every single day and you know that it's not going to be like an awkward forced thing where he has to talk to A-Rod about XYZ player in a really yeah. weird way. Um, he has a great broadcast voice and that's like 80% of the gig when yeah, you're just watching really. your favorite team. Like you just want it to sound nice. Um, it's it's weird that they hired him and then he hasn't called very many games. I don't know if this has changed much much since Steve called uh, this calls from April 21st, but you know they'll they'll work him in soon enough, probably. I, I don't know how the financial operations of regional sports networks are conducted. It is very bizarre. Like I can't think of a, a similar situation where a national broadcaster went to the to call local games and also just still do a national broadcast i mean i feel like it's usually the other way around right and i'm kind of i'm kind of curious what vaskersian's kind of angle is in this you know? i don't really I mean, like shohei otani you know maybe <laughs> yeah who among us right uh is this yeah, a good Vaskersian's... time to tell you that i'm leaving to pitches to go call angels games as well because i like shohei otani. wouldn't 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 blame you that's the thing right uh yeah, bizarre, bizarre situation overall. But like you said, maybe he just needs a 
change the scenery, put him in the right booth, and the, the man will thrive. I'm sure of it. If he ever gets to call a game. <laughs> okay, final final call this week. Hey, Alex, Bobby. Uh, my name is Yuri. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I am an A's Giants type fan, but today I wanted to call and complain about. Uh, well, Jeff British was just uh, he was fired, and uh, I just want to complain about him and Dick Manfort of the Rockies, uh, who are just not very good at their jobs. Previously, not very good at his job. Um, it just kind of sucks that uh, I moved to Albuquerque, hoping hoping to see some Isotopes games, uh, who are the AAA affiliate of the Rockies. And uh, you know, Nolan Arenado gets to go somewhere else. Maybe we get some cool prospects for him. Maybe there's somebody cool I get to see in town that hangs out. I can see. Who's uh, who's working out? Who's going to be up and coming? But oh wait, oh yeah, they didn't get anything. They they paid the Cardinals to take Nolan Arenado. That's right. Okay, cool. So I'll just sit back. Well, I'll just go on Fangraphs, you know, prospect list. Let's see what the Rockies have. Oh, he's in he's in single A. Okay. Oh, he's in rookie ball. Oh, all right, awesome. Oh yeah, he's like five years down the line. Right on. Okay, I'm glad we got this figured out. Uh, and that sucks. I wish uh, I wish the Rockies farm system. Uh, was a little bit better. I, I kind of sucks to not see anybody cool or fun come through. And, uh, it's not necessarily Jeff British's fault, but, uh, and it's also Dick, Dick Montfort's fault as well. But even with British gone, it's like these, these waves are still, still on the system. I, there's nobody here for me to, uh, there's nobody cool that I can, hang my head on and say, hey, I saw this guy before he got in the major leagues. This is a great, cool player. I'm really excited for this. Anyways, love your show. Uh, hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. I'd like to nominate this for the uh, Tipping Pitches Voicemail Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy's in single A. Oh, that, that guy's Strong in Strong brand. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Rockies' whole organization is a mess. We haven't talked about Jeff Bridich yet. Bridich, Bridich. I don't know. We don't have to say his name again after this episode, so it doesn't matter. Um, he obviously stepped down earlier in the week, uh, and the Rockies will search to replace him, hopefully from someone outside of the organization, which is something that they have not done. Uh, Breidich has been their GM for quite a while now. In the history of the franchise, they've only ever had three GMs, so this will be their fourth GM. <laughs> I feel like the Mets have had four GMs in like the last eight years. <sighs> um, shout out to the the Isotopes, one of the cooler minor league uh, baseball team names out there in Albuquerque. Uh, I mean, I guess my advice here would just be like, see who's coming into town, see if there are any good prospects on the other team. You know, yep. it, it'd be mm-hmm. cool, like, to be able to root for the the Isotopes and like root for a top prospect every time you go to a game, the same one every time you go to a game. But at that point, like, minor league baseball is there for the experience. Like, you're gonna have a good time going out to the ballpark on a nice day. Uh, getting some sunflower seeds if if you're into that. Getting a beer if you're into that. Getting a cheap hot hot dog if you're into that. So Yuri, thank you for calling. Uh, I'm sorry that the Rockies are a dumpster fire, but if we could fix that, man, one of us might be the fourth GM in Rockies history. <laughs> if we could convince Dick Monfort to do the right thing. Yeah, I think like you said, direct your attention to the uh, the other dugout. See who's see who's there. Sure, you may not have the next Mike Trout. But the other team might, and that's the 
you know, as baseball fans, isn't that all we can really ask for? I love the idea of this caller going to fan graphs and being like, all right, time to check out what level each Rockies prospect is at. And it's like all <laughs> single A. That's just, yeah, that's just dark. That's baseball that's- stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let, let's uh, let's wrap up voicemails and let's go to our conversation with Kyle Van Duho. All right, Kyle Banduho is back on Tipping Pitches. He joined us last year to talk about the baseball documentaries we would make if all of our dreams could ch- come true. Um, and we had as much budget as we wanted to. Uh, Kyle, welcome back to the show, man. It's an honor. And I want to say about that baseball documentaries thing, you guys went really deep with some really interesting historical documentaries that would be like, it's something you'd see at the Oscars kind of nominated for best documentary. And I went with a really like selfish, I'd like to see about the O2 twins getting contracted. So, (laughs) you know, you guys definitely trump me on that one. Well, you know, tipping pitches is full of prestige. We're famously a prestige <laughs> podcast. We don't make any dumb jokes. And we None. don't talk too much about Alex Rodriguez at all. It's all about Oscars level prestige here on the podcast. I was about to say that's why A Rod likes you guys. Right, yes, exactly. exactly. I mean, honestly, we're we're in the age where both of these documentaries will get all of these documentaries will be made. Go to Netflix and they'll throw ten million dollars at you to just get out of their face. Maybe Golden maybe age we of sports stocks. Yeah, maybe we should just quit the podcast and start pitching sports stocks places, Alex. <laughs> like that might be more lucrative for us. Yeah, um, or true crime docu series. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the Twins, Kyle, because I wanted to start there. Tough year so far for the Twins. Um, not quite contract the team level like 2002, but uh, off to a rough start. A couple silver linings. Byron Buxton has been as promised, as advertised as a prospect. Uh, the Prince I want- who is promised, Byron Buxton. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I want to, before we get into talking a little about Kyle works uh, on some pr- cool projects over at Baseball America, including From Phenom to the Farm, a podcast over there about you know minor leaguers' journeys up into the pros. Um, I want to talk about that stuff. I want to talk about a piece that you wrote at Baseball America about mental health. But first, man, we bring on fans and we 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 let them talk about their teams and air it out. Obviously, that's a it's a segment that we have where people can call in. But you're here live on the podcast, so let it rip, man. What's going on with the Twins this year? So, I mean, I the caveat: we're recording this. It's it's so it's May second. It's just May. So we <laughs> we got hey guys, we got time. We got we got plenty of time. Obviously, April not what you want. Not what uh, I, I went into this season like, and this is not Homer shit. I like I, I seriously I thought the Twins were going to win the Central. I I didn't think it was going to be the White Sox. Like everyone was saying, like I, I felt good. I was a little nervous about the rotation, the bullpen. Like you know, it, when you sign, when you're you're big, the guys you bring in are Alex Colome and Hansel Robles to really shore up that bullpen. You don't feel great, but like you have that that spring training optimism, you know, where you just you, you you can kind of see it. Like you can see Hansel Robles, you know, figured something out in the off season and bounces back. <laughs> nope. And Alex, Alex Colomay is like, you know, Hey, he's, he's, he's been great before. He's been really, really good. Like he's going to have, you know, he's going to show up like, you know, Fernando Rodney used to kind of bounce around and then like one out of every three years would just be incredible. Like highlighted by that big raise year. It was going to be that for Alex Colomay. And right now he's on pace to, I think, set the record for lowest war for a relief pitcher ever. Um, so okay. that's that's kind of the opposite of that optimism. Only can go I'm, up from here. <laughs> I mean, the the team can score. Like, the, the team can hit, and that's with 
uh, you know, we were talking a little before we recorded. Mitch Garver, a little lost in the woods right now. Um, Miguel Sano hurt and lost in the woods. Um, Josh Donaldson, still, you, you really just don't know what you're going to get. But, like, Nelson Cruz is the ageless wonder. And going to hit until he's 60. <laughs> he's amazing. I can't, uh, I can't remember who. Someone wrote that piece in The Athletic about the work Nelson Cruz does on his body and the like what it takes to get him game ready and all the effort that he puts in. And there's a lot of lifting and a lot of napping and a lot of like very strict dieting. And it is, yeah. that's how Alex gets ready a, for this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's Nelson Cruz. It's a 24 seven gig to get that guy going, but he's, you know, he's 42 years old and he's so great. And then the Byron Buxton thing is, I, I tweet, I hate being the guy being like, I I tweeted this, but I did tweet this, that Byron Buxton finally breaking out and seemingly being about as healthy as he's been in ages and just like fulfilling that promise since he broke out in 2013 in the minors. It, but the twins being terrible is some real monkey's paw shit. Like we yeah. finally get the, the Buxton year. I mean, because he has been incredible. And the thing with Byron Buxton is if he even hits like, 250 with 15 20 bombs and 15 20 stolen bases he's a star because he plays such great defense but now he's one of the best offensive players in baseball for the first month it's like this is great this is everything we've ever wanted and then we're just one of the worst pitching teams in the american league right now in the bullpen especially and then like you know the the new the new extra inning rules we have we have lost some extra inning games that are tough and lost some games in the ninth because Alex Colomay, I mean, sometimes you watch him and it's like, I don't know. It's just, he's lost too. He's in the woods. Him and Mitch Garver and Miguel Sano are just walking around in the woods and no one can get out. At least they have each other, you know, at least they're not alone in there. Yeah. Misery loves company. So we got time guys. We, we got time. Um, Hey, Jay Happ's been really good. So yeah, there you go. Our guy podcast favorite Jay Happ. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, well, listen, I, I, I wanted to give you that space because I feel like Minnesota Twins fans, you guys have been through a lot and you don't get a lot of shine about how much you've been through. It's been, you know, over a decade since you won a playoff series. So it's you, been, you just got to get it out. And as we kind of deduced uh, a couple months ago, it's because of the Moneyball Ace curse. They've yes. right, Ace exactly. put a curse on us and we got to find a way to break it. Alex, yeah. how do you feel I, about that? Do you feel any regret? I, you know what? That's that's baseball, man. That is, uh, that's just the way the the ball bounces. Uh, <laughs> let the process the ball work bounces itself out to, here. <laughs> to, yeah, let the process work. What have the what have the Royals done to deserve first place right now? That's what I. It's kind of I'm curious about Royals and and Giants leading leading the pack in their division. This they is, paid their minor leaguers. That's about it. That's yeah, but I don't know. Bars on I, the ground. To put on like a real serious baseball hat, like there's no way the Royals keep this up, right? That's right. almost that's I don't know if that's serious baseball hat or if that's like wishful desperate guy just needing the Royals to kind right. of right. Are you telling but... that to us or are you telling that to yourself? <laughs> I'm actually I'm saying that I'm saying that that you know how like people do daily affirmations when they look in the mirror. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like the Royals aren't going to keep this up. Like, we'll be okay. <laughs> um, okay, Kyle, let's talk about from Phenom to the Farm. We've been doing it for. Quite a while now. Um, as I mentioned, from Phenom to the Farm, it's a Baseball America pod where you talk to uh, former guys who were draft picks about their process of trying to get to the big leagues. I wanted to start by discussing the project as a whole and asking you, you know, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from these guys and talking to them and what 
how has it shaped your understanding of the minor leagues as a developmental system in professional sports in America? Yeah, so the kind of the genesis for the podcast, originally it started as the the nichest of the niche idea. I wanted to do something about the Pirates 2009 draft class, which is just so baseball okay. their niche. Yeah. Is that but, the other thing that you said to yourself in the mirror when you woke up? You'd be like, Royals, not, not going to keep this up. Also, Pirates 2009 draft class, the most important thing in history. The most important thing. But so part of that comes with one of my one of my best friends as part of that draft class. So I had an in there and I had followed it from signing to to how it shook out. But basically the Pirates took they took a safe college player and a cheap college player with their first round pick. They took another college pitcher with their comp one pick and they had all this money left over in their budget. And what they did is they basically spent that on high school pitchers. They took like six lottery tickets on guys. Really, none of them hit. But it's kind of the concept of it initially started as wanting to be a podcast about just the high school to pro ball experience because it's a weird thing we ask kids to do. Like they're, you know, first rounders, it's it's a little different just because of the dollar amount and the chances they get and the prestige they get. Like Typically, most first rounders are going to at least get the chance to get to the major leagues or, you know, get as many opportunities as possible. And they get enough money where they're living, you know, even unless they they do something wild with that money that even if things don't work out, they at least have a nest egg to kind of to to, you know, for post career. And they're not kind of in the wilderness. A lot of in the wilderness talk early in this pod. But we ask in, in the major leagues, a lot of kids have to put a price on their college education. Like what is, you know, what would skipping that mean to me? And they get a couple hundred thousand dollars, which like to us, I'm sure if someone dropped a couple hundred thousand dollars in our porch, like that sounds great. But Clearly also, you don't know anything about how much ad revenue we're getting for this podcast, Kyle. <laughs> but, um, you know, essentially that's all they get. Like that one signing, that one check from the get-go, because then suddenly they're getting, you know, they're getting paid peanuts. So it's, you have to live off that. And it's this really tough thing of you go from living with mom and dad and, you know, meals provided for. And, you know, it's different for a lot of kids, but suddenly you sign that contract and the, all your friends go off to college to kind of gradually grow up and have that still kind of semi structured environment. And also an environment that is, is, is college is essentially structured around fun. Like even if you're playing athletics, it's all about that. And suddenly you're a professional. And you're learning how to manage money and learning how to conduct your business at the ballpark and and really like treat yourself, treat, you know, you focus on your career. And, you know, some guys, you know, your Byron Buxton's break out right away and you, you know, you're in the big leagues pretty quickly and you're figuring out then. And some guys are just grinding for six to seven years. And it's a weird thing of I've never done anything except play baseball. I don't have a college degree. Do I keep trying to do this? Maybe try to play foreign, try to stretch my money a little longer, or you know, do I leave this game? But then I, I'm starting back from 18 years old, or I can go coach. And it's a weird, it's and it, so what I've learned from the project, I guess, is is just the minor leagues are difficult, and it's a grind for everyone. Even first, I've had first round picks on the show. I've had 42nd round picks on the show, and it've kind of gotten to. Um, expanded past college or past high school guys. We've had guys who signed as seniors in college, guys who signed as juniors in college. We've had a couple of foreign signees. Um, and it, it's it's a grind for everyone. And especially it's a it's a mental grind because the thing that a lot of these guys go through as well, especially the high school guys, is they've never failed before. Most guys who are drafted out of high school and 
you know, and especially like high round guys or, you know, guys who get a couple hundred thousand dollars have never really played anyone in, in high school. They don't really play guys as good as them that often. Um, even in, you know, the hotbed baseball states, you know, they, you do the travel ball thing and stuff, but recently you, you've never failed. You've just been for 18 years getting told how good you are at baseball. And then suddenly everyone's as talented as you for the most part. And, you know, you're playing guys who are older than you. You know, when you're in low A, you're playing against a bunch of guys who have just played in the ACC and SEC for three years. And that's really difficult at 18 years old. And it's so there's going to be every single one of these guys, no matter how good, how talented, have these moments of doubt and moments of struggle. And you're you're also doing that. You're, you know, on this bus rides and bad hotels and eating bad food and trying to, you know, you guys have covered this, you know, extensively. How shitty the miners are when it comes to being an environment to to raise good athletes and you you go into that as well so it's i knew a lot of that going in but just hearing the stories from these guys is only heightened you know how tough a grind it really is there are some people who you know oh that you know the good ones will make it and you know it build character or whatever that rah-rah stuff but it's really you know i don't think like not feeling good is a good harbinger of like, you know, something we should pride ourselves on and someone making the big leagues. Oh, they got through this tough environment. Like, no, why don't we, why don't we give these guys a good supportive environment, you know, that, that baseball has the means to provide. But, but then you're not going to work as hard, right? Like I'm happy in my (laughs) job and I, you know, I, I wish my employer paid me less because then I'd be able to grind grind more. That's true. Sure. That's why I haven't really made it in podcasting. I'm just too happy doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious because it's been now more than 600 days since we've last had a minor league baseball game, right? I mean, being a minor league well, baseball player AAA is... has technically started already. The rest of the league start May 4th. We're recording this May 2nd. I believe AAA has played some games this season, but your point still stands, Alex. Right. Point being that it's been more than a year, close to two years without minor league baseball, and a majority of those players haven't received a, a dime in that period as well. Um being a baseball, a minor league baseball player is hard enough, enough, let alone, you know, throwing a pandemic in the middle of that. And so there's a lot of stuff that has happened on the field that has happened off the field with the minor leagues over the last year plus. And I'm kind of curious what you think that landscape will look like as it, as it comes out of it. Guys who have missed out on a, a year of development, um, the con- contracting, like you mentioned, of, of a few dozen baseball teams there i'm sure there is a there's a development impact but there's also an emotional impact a financial impact that these players are kind of reeling from and dealing with and i'm curious either in your conversations with players about this or or even just your general perception having talked to these guys on a regular basis what that will will look like to fans and and what it might look like to players coming out of this it's going to be really interesting because like in this week we've seen the, the team assignments, like minor league teams are putting out who's there and there are guys jumping a couple levels, but it's where teams are really having to estimate what kind of, you know, level this player is on now, even though they, they missed out on the 2020 at bats and stuff like that. And like they're, you know, top guys went to the alternate sites, but it's, it's kind of a real, you know, We'll see. I guess this guy's ready for double A. We didn't really see him in high A, but he's that age now. Let's let's put him there. 
I think it, it'll be really interesting to see where not great bonus guy, like how that lack of development affects guys who had to work or had to find money and stretch dollars in the last year, because I mean, a lot of them did and um, you know, minor league baseball players couldn't file for unemployment. And so guys were having to figure out anything. And like, if you got, you know, last year wasn't, I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't easy for anyone, but if you got seven, six figures out of high school or out of college, and you were able to at least go to driveline or go to one of those places and train and, and continue to live comfortably and eat comfortably and, and, and stuff like that, that's a lot, you know, you're, you're on better footing than, uh, you know, 35th round guy who signed for five grand, but has, you know, is kind of one of those diamond in the rough guys that is, you know, I don't have anyone on top of my head, but is like, is playing well, is trying to make a career for himself. And, you know, Hey, was it a position maybe going into 2020 where, you know, if I go to double a and I show something, you know, maybe I'm the next, you know, AJ Ellis or something like that. Like he, you know, something like that. And so the guys like that, it's going to be interesting to see how much development fell off for them and where, you know, where the sport is as a whole in terms of getting used to this, this new sort of setup, this straight A, high A, double A, um, triple A with only the complex leagues below it. Uh, it'll, it'll, I mean, I, I think anyone's lying if they say they know how this minor league season is going to go. It looks like it is going to go off though, just where we are with vaccines and stuff like that. So I don't think, you know, knock on wood, I don't think hopefully that's going to be a problem like stopping and starting and stuff, but it'll be really interesting to see if there's a huge development gap, especially in guys who did not go to the alternate site and could not really afford to, you know, to, to train like a baseball. And that's been one of the big problems with the minor leagues forever is guys in the off season, like quality players. Like you've had, um, you know, you've had Ty Kelly on, on this podcast, you know, many times he was talking about, he is, he was fortunate to where, his parents helped him because he was going to school in the off season and stuff, but guys who were in a similar financial position, like it's hard to be a professional athlete when you're having to spend your off season, just trying to make money to live. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how guys who usually their off seasons were spent working and making money and, and trying to train when they had no money from the season and haven't, you know, garnered a paycheck in, in a year. Yeah. And I think that, and I'm glad you brought up Ty. I also want to shout out Matt Matt Perret, who some you know, something when I met Matt and started talking to him about his experience in the minor leagues that he said that has really stuck with me was that like when you're in the minors and you're being treated like this and you're not making that much money and you're eating PB and J sandwiches like six times a week and whatever, you're not getting the amenities that you should be to develop into the world class athlete that your team expects you to be, you can't say anything about it. Because in the minors, like the organization only has time to think of you in one way. And if they're not thinking of you as like a hard worker, or if they're not thinking of you as like the guy with the glove or the guy who's going to develop some pop, like then they're thinking of you as like the guy who's talking about how shitty his experience is. So none of these minor leaguers can advocate for themselves without the help of some larger body, like more than baseball or, you know, like advocates for minor leaguers or, you know, hopefully in the near future, like a minor league baseball union. So I don't know, that has just always really stuck with me. And that's something that kind of colors the experience of all of the guys that you talk to on From Phenom to the Farm, where it's like they are probably harboring and, 
you know, this internal feeling of like, man, I should be getting treated a little better is probably weighing on them and ultimately not producing the best baseball that we could be getting. You know, like I think of this idea of adversity and adversity is not on its face a bad thing for an athlete. Like athletes have to go through adversity all the time, whether it's coming back from an injury stronger or whether it's, you know, overcoming a part of their game that is not strong and turning it into a strength and then using that on the professional level to become a great player. Like, I think there is a constructive version of adversity. And I think that what baseball is doing is a very deconstructive version of adversity for these guys. And I think ultimately, like, we lose out on a lot of baseball players. Like, there, there is a chance that we could have lost out on guys like Jose Altuve and Mookie Betts. Like, we got lucky that we got those guys. But they were not put in the best positions to succeed. Like, they're, you know, like, these are not your classic first-round guys. And now these are two of the best players in baseball. And we're just lucky that we got them. I don't know how many of Jose Altuve is and Mookie Betts we missed out on. Mm-hmm. And it, you don't make your the the lower levels like the minor leagues are not an attractive option for for multi sport guys. Like I I it's much more appealing. I mean, aside from like the the danger of it, it sounds much more appealing to go play top level college football than it does to go slumming around in the minor leagues. Um, it's a lot more fun. You live a, a lot better of a lifestyle, but kind of like you said, like the adversity of it and the not having a voice, like even these guys, a lot of these guys are in positions where they just don't feel like they can speak up for themselves at all, whether that's with their mental health or with their physical health. Like guys don't want to go to the training room. They're afraid to get replaced They're And they internalize this, like, you know, I'm living on one peanut butter and jelly and, you know, a chicken strip from the concession stand a day, you know, on a, for a home game. And that's just the way things are. And that's just how it's got to be. And they internalize that and they don't feel like they can say anything different. Cause like you said, Bobby, they'll, you know, we'll find someone else who will, you know, live on PB and J at a chicken strip and who won't complain and will be the warm body we need to, um, you know, to let our prospects play. And it's, it's, yeah, we, they have no voice right now. And there's, you know, like you, the guys, you, you know, Ty and Matt are trying to be that voice. But I I think there's going to be, I'm speaking, I'm pretty sure in the choir, but like they need a union. That's the only, that's really the only way, you know, they, they're going to keep throwing them these, oh, you know, we're getting you nicer travel. We're upping your paychecks a little bit. But until minor leaguers have a real seat at the table, there's, you know, th- things are going to stay pretty status quo. Uh, we might as well transition since you brought it up to the mental health aspect of it. Kyle, you wrote a great piece for Baseball America about talking to some of these guys whose mental health has been adversely affected by this experience and how the culture of baseball sort of reinforces like all of that. <laughs> don't talk about this and, you know, don't make this a scapegoat. Don't make this a reason for a team to cut you or to think that you can't power through that adversity. Um what was the genesis for that piece, just in having all these conversations with those guys and, and seeing this pop up over and over again? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, every so I've been doing Phenom every other week for a year or a little over a year now. And almost every guy has had some there's been some sort of mental hurdle. And that could be as, you know, um, as little as like, I, you know, I'm lacking confidence in myself or I'm a little homesick because it's my first time away from home to kind of all the way to had, you know, some guys with the the yips to where it, you know, it almost took away their career or, you know, it did take away their career. And that's something that you carry around with you all the time. You're, it's not just like, oh, I'm having the yips at the ballpark, but I feel fine when I go home. Like, no, a guy like 
you know, I'm, th- you know, I'm throwing in the batting cages where no one can see me. And then I'm crying on the way home from the field because I just, I can't fix this. And then the kind of the culmination was the the most famous case of, of any sort of um, mental struggles or anything I've had in the podcast is Brandon Wood, who was a, he was like Mike Trout before Mike Trout, as far as Angels prospects go, was supposed to be the next big thing. And um, panic attacks basically ruined his career and, and anxiety and he was in a position where he didn't feel like he could say anything. He could get, you know, seek help. He felt like he would get called soft, especially, you know, he was afraid of his manager. He was afraid of getting replaced. And it really just, you know, tanked a really promising career. And I think that's been the culture in sports in general for as long as there's been sports of the, you know, having like a mental toughness problem and not that, you know, it, the sports need to redefine what mental toughness actually is. And I think for years, mental toughness was like, don't show emotion. Don't say that you're having a bad day. And so um, I, I brought the idea of doing an extended piece on, on wood to Matt Eddy, who's the executive editor at baseball America. I think, I don't know. He's head guy. And I, I brought the, that idea. And he, we kind of talked about something about just what, what does mental health in baseball look like now? And, you know, maybe what does the future of mental health in baseball look like now? And so we kind of um, did a a piece kind of spanning, taking some experiences of guys I've talked to. And then I reached out to um, mental health professionals working in baseball, working in um, just in collegiate athletics and working with amateur athletes and kind of, you know, talking about, okay, well, you know, what, what kind of progress we've made. Cause in the last 10 years of baseball, we've made the sport professional baseball has made a ton of progress and there, and that's both been in hiring practices and, you know, teams have mental skill. I think every team has a mental skills guy now or a mental skills coach, which is a little, which is different than someone who handles mental health. But a lot of these teams have someone who's, who's duly trained for mental health as well which it's it's a little easier when you have all that stuff in house and so it, it's a little easier for a player to who's struggling with something mentally where they can say hey go see go, you know go see Jim who you know you've seen Jim around he's like your you know he's like the same thing as an athletic trainer but he's also you know he's your mental health guy and it's a little more comforting than someone saying i have a problem discreetly being afraid of you know you i'm going to get benched i'm going to sit down whatever and they hand you a card and you're like, go see Dr. So-and-so on, um, you know, on sixth street or something. And they're just hoping the guy gets there. And so baseball's made a lot of progress in that regard, but it, you know, now a lot of it is, um, you know, staffing is finding those duly trained people and, um, and also just continued acceptance, which sports in general, and that, that comes with people talking about it, uh, like, you know, everyone I talked to talked about Kevin Love being a big thing and even Brandon Wood coming out. Um, it, it's it's just a matter of continued acceptance and continued talking about it that it's just it's okay to not feel mentally healthy. And so baseball's done a great job in the last 10 years of doing that. And now it's just, you know, continued progress. There was the the story that came out over the offseason about Drew Robinson, right? The the former Rangers prospect and his struggles with with mental health and uh, attempting to take his own life, right? And kind of how he um, battled through that, right? And ultimately got to got to that endpoint and survived, and has committed himself to um, trying to trying to you know raise awareness and and do what he can to to bring help to people who are struggling. Um, but 
but so much of this happens beyond behind closed doors, right? So much of this, guys are privately struggling, like you said, and are uh, frankly probably afraid to uh, to come out about this stuff, to come out and and talk about it, right? When when Zach Greinke had to take some time away from baseball because of anxiety, right? I think he got tagged unfairly with the idea that, you know, he's a bit of a head case, right? That phrase is thrown around a lot. That, you know, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a freak, you know, yeah, he's got some, he's got some issues that he's working on. Um, and it's like, don't, don't, don't we all? I think, I think you're a little weird if you don't have something that's, that's wrong in the back of your head, you know, especially if you are a, a high schooler who has made this radical change to your life, right? If you're just a kid who, who all of a sudden has their world turned upside down, like absolutely you're going to be going through some shit. And it makes sense from a human perspective, but also from the, expect, from the perspective of like you're an employer and like to be really callous about it, like you want to provide whatever you can to these players so that they can actually succeed and be the best versions of themselves, right? Be the player you drafted, be the the star that that you know they can be, because otherwise I, you're doing a disservice to them and and to yourself, to your organization. Yeah, I mean these athletes are people just like anyone else, doing high stress jobs and living in for the most part, not normal circumstances. It's not normal to be on the road for five months out of the year and be away from your family and stuff like that. So you like guys like Drew Robinson and Kevin Love and, and just any, the, the more people speak out about it and normalize it, the more, you know, that that's how everyone can help make progress with this. And then with that comes, you know, needing to, um, the, 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 every club and every organization then on down through college amateur athletics just having an infrastructure and an acceptance to create a mentally healthy environment in sports like that goes all the way down to shitty little league parents like there there should be classes at little league whatever registration or you know whatever the the preseason meeting little leagues do like okay here's how you be a mentally healthy coach and parent here's how here's the proper way to talk to your kids root for kids and talk to umpires and stuff. And it's, it's all the way, you know, it's top to bottom. It's about acceptance and rethinking how we talk about quote unquote mental toughness. I'm not like terribly optimistic about MLB's track record on positively influencing every level of baseball, but I would hope that MLB. Oh, is that a thing they should be doing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Helping the lower levels. MLB's shift towards focusing this on this on the professional level will, I mean, God, this is a banned phrase like on this podcast and in life in general, but trickle down towards the lower <laughs> levels and actually, yeah, actually help those levels focus on things and and build the infrastructure that is you know sorely needed, like for mental health in baseball throughout every level. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us, man. This is this has been. Great to talk about. It's a really great piece. We'll obviously link it in the description. From Phenom to the Farm is available wherever you get pods. Kyle also hosts a great movie sports podcast called Big Screen Sports, which we have been on multiple times, most recently to talk about the seminal film Moneyball, which changed all of our lives. Um, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on Tipping Pitches again, man. Guys, it is always a pleasure. I'm very grateful. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Go Twins. Okay. 
Okay, thanks to Kyle. Uh, read read that piece, and if you have some time, listen to From Phenom to the Farm because these guys talking about their experience is is part of is part of the process of of overhauling how we treat minor league baseball. Like if these guys say, "Hey, my experience was bad here," we can then start to identify the places that we need to make the experience better. So you know, projects like Kyle's are extremely important to to the things that we get on here and talk about when we're talking about unionize the miners when we're talking about you know show some dignity to these guys who accumulate the value of your major league baseball franchise um so thanks to kyle for coming on and talking about all that stuff again alex we're going to do three up three down now at this late stage of the podcast as yes. we always do uh maybe we can power through really quickly you want to want to set a world record for fastest three up three down let's do it do you uh do you want to kick us off this week? Yeah, let's kick, change, let's change kick it up. A little let's bit. kick it off this week. Let's kick it off this week. All right, yeah, I'll start yeah, with down this do week because I'm fired up. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I'm fired up. Okay, first down this week, Jose Alvarado. Okay, it's Homer time. It's Homer time. Yeah, so long for us speeding through this. Slamming my pen down on the desk. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone, take I'm a strap fake, in. I'm getting fake grab a drink. sports talk radio mad, but real life mad. Because Jose Alvarado, relief pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, had a little bit of a, an altercation with the Metropolitans of New York on Friday night. Alvarado is having a great year. Um, I like I like him as a pitcher. I like him as a player. I think he's very a very fun watch. He has unbelievable stuff, and he's very wild. Okay, and a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to give all the background context so that when I say my take, it doesn't sound like I'm a, a grumpy old baseball man. A couple weeks yeah. ago, he had a, a bit of a wild inning against the Mets, an effectively wild inning. Shout out to our friends over at Fangraphs Effectively Wild, uh, where he he hit a batter. He had another one that was up and in against Michael Conforto, and it clearly was not intentional. Um, yet the Mets were chirping a little bit at him, being like, okay, get the ball over the plate, stop hitting our guys. And... He was chirping back at them. He was like, nah, be quiet. Like, I'm, that wasn't intentional. Sorry about it. Sorry I hit your guy, but it wasn't intentional. This, is, this just happens in baseball from time to time. And it went off without a hitch. Inning ended. He celebrated the strikeout. This was a couple of weeks ago, okay? Then Friday night rolls around, and he has a couple eye-level fastballs up and in. And this dude is throwing 99 with movement. He hits Jeff McNeil to start the inning. The Mets are chirping again. It's like, dude, if you can't get it over the plate, maybe you shouldn't be out there. People will remember that this happened with Henesis Cabrera in the Phillies a couple days earlier where he hit Bryce Harper in the face and then he hit the very next batter in the ribcage because he was too wild. It wasn't intentional or anything like that. But the Mets were like, hey, dude, maybe don't throw up near the eyes. And if you can't get it over the plate right now, maybe you, your manager should come get you out. Um, similar situation. The inning continues. And he has an effective inning. Like, he strikes out the next couple guys. He ends the inning by striking out Dom Smith. And he celebrates. He celebrates the strikeout. Listen, Alex. I'm all for celebrating a strikeout in a big spot with God your team it, Bobby. to end the oh, inning. God. Here but it he, comes. he didn't celebrate the strikeout with his team. Like, it wasn't a strikeout celebration. He struck Dom out. And Dom immediately started walking back to the dugout without saying anything. Didn't even look at Alvarado. And Alvarado starts aggressively walking towards Dom, like towards home plate, not towards his dugout, towards the Mets dugout, screaming at Dom for no reason, like aggressively screaming at him for absolutely no reason. And Dom turns around, 
throws his helmet down because Dom's not a dude to fuck with. Like Dom, Dom will fight. Dom will fight. So Dom throws his helmet down. Bench is clear. Alvarado's yelling the whole time. I just think this is dumb. And I think it gives a bad rep to people who are actually celebrating strikeouts with their team in a positive way, which we fully support and I full-throatedly have supported on this show before. I think what Alvarado did was dumb. I think the Phillies taking offense to it was dumb. Reese Hoskins, the very next inning, got walked on four pitches. Two of the pitches were inside. Hoskins slammed his bat down as if Miguel Castro, the Mets pitcher, was trying to hit him. I thought it was embarrassing. I thought the Phillies' behavior three nights after being offended by a similar situation was embarrassing. And uh, Jose Alvarado, my first down this week. What do you think? Did I walk that fine line between uh, old baseball red ass and woke baseball podcaster? (laughs) Yeah, I think you did it. And ultimately landed in Mets Homer, which is, you know, where we started anyway. So I can't blame you for that. Okay, thanks. Thanks for everyone indulging me just now on the podcast. Um, Jose Alvarado is now my my playful enemy until he actually head on someone, in which case I will I will find him. (laughs) First down for you. First down for me uh, is a little more serious. Um, a couple days ago, Major League Baseball came out and announced that uh, the Hall of Famer, second baseman Roberto Alomar, would be placed on the ineligible list and uh, and basically fired from his roles as a, as a consultant to Major League Baseball uh, due to... Uh, allegations of sexual misconduct, an incident that happened in 2014, um, and that he would he would effectively be uh, uh, yeah removed from his existing roles. He I I don't know necessarily the the nature of his relationship with the Blue Jays, but he's long been um, for a while has been a, kind of an ambassador to them as well. Uh, it's unclear kind of how that will change going forward. Um, he's going to remain in the Hall of Fame which uh, I guess is to be expected. I don't really expect them to to do much <laughs> retroactive editing of history, given that they are already uncomfortable with reckoning history with history as it unfolds in real time. See Kurt Schilling. So, um, but all this to say that this is a, a part of a much larger and systemic issue as we've seen I, over the last six months, as stories have come out, I think baseball is in, I feel like it feels reductive to just call it it's, it's me too moment. But I do think we're, we're at a point in time where Major League Baseball as an institution and teams on an individual level really have to start reckoning with the fact that there are a lot of really shitty guys like in their organizations, guys at the very top of their organizations and it's going to require a real reevaluation of the, the sports history as more and more stories come out about uh, players like this and, and executives in the league that paint them in a really unsavory light because they've done shitty stuff. So I don't, I don't have much more to, more to say on that, but I'm, I know that it's not the last time <laughs> can I have a conversation like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said. And I, I think that, you're right to identify that baseball is unequipped to reckon with this sort of thing in its past while they're still trying to figure out how to reckon with it in its present, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and, and I mean, like Mickey Calloway still has a job, right? So like, what exactly, is, exactly. once again, what's, what, what are we doing here? Do you care? Do you, do you not care? Yeah. Um, it's good that they like definitively put him on the ineligible list. And this seemed like a, everybody was on the same page as opposed to the Mickey Calloway thing where the angels are on a different page than like the rest of the world, apparently. Um, and Calloway is on a different page than in a different book. Um, but it still is like shocking and jarring. And I'm sure for the, the, I'm sure for the many non men in baseball who have had bad experiences like this, just re traumatizing every time to see this continually happen. And yeah, it's just, I mean, I know that this is obviously a segment that we do every week on the podcast, but it really is like a down, like it really is like a thing that saps joy out of the thing that we want to experience so much joy for. And so I just hope that it is all for something, you know, it is all for change that baseball will eventually enact that makes this less and less common. And eventually at some point in the future extinct. Yep. Agreed. Well said. Uh, You want to hit us with your second down this week? Yeah. So pulling back from the more serious, um, pulling back from your more serious down um, back onto the field. Uh, Icon of this podcast, Shohei Otani who we just t- we talked about earlier in our voicemail segment, uh, Open Season. Uh, he's continually developing hot spots and blisters on his pitching hand, Alex. Uh, this is like really common for some guys and then other guys this just never happens to. So like you hear about guys developing blisters so frequently, but it's the same guys every time. It's like Rich Hill, you know, it's Shohei Otani. It's... Mm-hmm. Noah Syndergaard has had problems with blisters in the past. Jacob DeGrom has had problems with blisters in the past. Like it has nothing to do with like the durability of a pitcher. It seems like an utter fluke and it sucks that it's happening. The fluke is happening to this guy who the angels are finally cutting loose. They're letting him hit on the same days that he's pitching. Um, They're letting him start every five days. They're just letting him be the two way superstar that was promised. And there's just a little bit of a hiccup in it. There's a little bit of bump in the road because he's really actually only pitching like every 10 days because they're trying to give his blister time to heal in between. And I don't know what the hell you do about that. Like we train so effectively. We have absolutely perfected the craft of training major league baseball pitchers. And then a dude just gets a blister. You know, it's like he bought a new pair of shoes. He just has a blister and it's ruining his day. (laughs) I don't know about that. Can we invent something, Alex? Can we invent something? Yeah, I mean, you would... We put people on the moon, man. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, you'd think that they would have, and I'm sure they do have, short fixes for this sort of thing, right? Like, you know, like put a little, put some glue on it, and then, you know, just cover it up entirely. But that's like illegal. Little, like, that's sh- a foreign substance. <laughs> oh, yeah, but we don't care about foreign substances. I do. It's cheating. It's cheating, Alex. No, it's so delicate, man. It's like, it's like, you know, one little fuel line in a race car being cut or coming undone. And I just think that baseball is so silly all of the time. Um, and I just, I, I wish Shohei Otani's skin cells just the absolute best from me to Shohei. Get those skin cells fixed, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, seconded. We we need more Shohei. Okay, what is second down for you? 
second down for me, I you know, it's a down, but it's also just a kind of a question mark. Uh, you mentioned baseball being silly. Uh, I'll give you some maximum silly baseball. In the, uh, the independent Pioneer League, which is um, an, a, a pro- quote-unquote pro- professional partner league with Major League Baseball, although they don't have much say in, in the rules and, and the, the goings-on, right? They are similar to the Atlantic League in that nature. Um, we, got some, we got some new rules. I, this is a rules podcast. That's all this is now these days because we get a new, new rules for this sport every week. Uh, these ones are fun. I, not necessarily like fun in a way where I'm like, we should have this, but more kind of like, sure, I guess just have, let's have every logical rendition of, of baseball, logical and illogical that we can have. Rob, Rob Manfred wanted one baseball. We're just getting all, all baseball, all types. Uh, here's what we have on tap. A knockout style home run derby to resolve tie games that are poised to go into extra innings. So, you know, five each each team picks a batter to get five pitches and however many home runs, that's the winner. Okay, chew on that one. Uh, I've chewed it, spit it out, and now you want me to chew a, it again? We've got a designated pinch hitter and designated pinch runner, Bobby's favorite slippery slope. This is the baseball you fucking wanted, dude. I just have mm-hmm. to say that. This is you invited this. Okay, continue. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh owned. And then we have a a, a check a check swing rule, which basically allows hitters to appeal um down to an umpire as well. That only seems right. I mean, which I like I'm like, yeah. Okay. I'm just the type that of person seems... who's like the um, the home plate umpire should never call a swing. Every right, check exactly. swing should be appealed. And also, why is it that the pitcher and the catcher can appeal, but not the hitter, the one who's who's doing the act itself? Just more pro pitcher bias. Yeah, I know, right? This fucking game. Man. Can I say something? So, can I say something about the home run thing? Home oh, yeah, runs, yeah. everything. What What are we doing here? What are we at an arcade? <laughs> what the hell is this? I'm really coming out with like some real boomer takes on the pod this week, where I'm like chastising Jose Alvarado. You know, I'm saying that this is like not real baseball, but this is like actually literally not real baseball. I know. This I know. is like what we used to do at like middle school baseball practice. Yes. And I, I like, also I, I also I, think it's fucking hilarious. I just want to put that out there. I'm trying not to be like hashtag triggered by the Pioneer League. Like I, I'm really trying here, Alex. But you know, like it's still what if we just played baseball, you know? Like what if we just played regular old baseball and like didn't imply all the time that it ha- that it was boring by every single action that we did i don't know that's just a thought yeah i mean i for one think it's funny that they are just letting the the, the kids like you know the executive kids get to come in and it's like bring your kid to work day and they just like the kid makes up a random rule and then they're like all right let's run with it sure home run derbies to end baseball games why not I don't know. I still like it better than the runner on second rule. Yeah. In extra innings. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> at least it's like, at least it's like not trying to pretend like it's real baseball. Right. Exactly. It's, uh, it's more honest noise. Okay. My third yeah. down this week is, um, it's, it's a story that we were going to get into in more depth in the intro, but we're just going to breeze through it and three up, three down this week. It, it appears, Alex, that, uh, Bally Sports, who we've talked about a bit on this show so far, this season, it's been the t- the t- the subject of much 
much consternation on baseball Twitter, owned by the <laughs> famous death to democracy Sinclair Broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> they are $1.82 billion in debt. Uh, that seems not that seems not good. Right. So I believe you are gonna put this on your up if this I'm is not actually my first up this <laughs> week. I'm yeah. <laughs> Amazing how podcast production works. Uh I it's it's undoubtedly an up that Sinclair Broadcasting goes two billion dollars. That's hilarious. And they can't sell ads. I mean, that's the free market we wanted, baby. That's that's what we were looking for. I think the down for me comes from the fact that we've just like turned the keys to the car and the house and the boat and the plane and every other thing that has keys we've turned over to these regional sports networks and they clearly don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like they don't know. And maybe they'll turn it around and get out of this by like buying up more local news stations and, um, you know, doing propaganda to profit, but that's not going to make me feel good. So when I think about this on an existential level, when I think about the fact that, this is the first year of Valley Sports, and they're also they're already like 1.82 billion behind their ad market expected. I'm like, hey man, this probably isn't a good sign for the future of baseball. If these RSNs are the thing that are like economically propping the sport up, I don't know. It's it's an omen that things are not going to get any better in the short term. Even as the pandemic kind of starts to ease up and people start going to baseball games again and people start living their normal lives again, like. This is that doesn't mean that Valley Sports is uh, is out of the is out of the woods yet. You know, again, woods big big woods talk on this podcast this week. I, uh, I also thought that like isn't baseball viewership up? Like, why are they having so much trouble? Yeah, well, I mean, I do think that part of it is that the nature of people's TV watching habits is changing. I you know where you can't watch Valley Sports, YouTube TV, mm. Hulu Live. You know where you can't watch famously Fubu at- TV. <laughs> Fubu TV, yeah. You know where you can't watch uh, marquee sports. An- the Cubs anywhere except cable flagship. Yeah, anywhere except cable. And so I, and, I and think Fubu. we are we are at a real crossroads here. And Fubu, we're at a real crossroads here, where these massive TV conglomerates are frankly going to have to recognize that people's watching habits have just changed, have shifted, and people aren't buying typical cable packages anymore. And these people are smart enough to know that the writing is on the wall there and that we're not going back to the days of old. And so at the very least, might as well let people watch your product, right? Wouldn't that be at least a plus? But, you know, it's hard when you're, it's hardest, it's a hard sell when your product isn't actually that good and you're making it available to fewer and fewer customers. I, I'm curious how the math works out on that, but I don't think it's a, a positive. Although again, I'm no, I'm no business major. Not yet. You're not. Not until not we yet. send you back to get your MBA to run our media <laughs> corporation. True. Uh, okay. So that was your first up and my yes. third down. So that yes. puts me on my first up. Well, I think I need to give you my third down. Oh my God. We're doing a lot of juggling here. You do need to mm-hmm. give us your lots third of, down. Lots of bounding back and forth. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll go quickly. I want to talk umpires real quick. I don't want to dunk on umpires. Yeah. Support the blue. So I, I do back the blue. Uh, <laughs> I just, I think what annoys me more than bad umpires, which annoys me a good amount, is whining about bad umpires yes you know what we should do take the 
K-Zone off the screen. Because everyone's a fucking backseat ump now. Yep. It's wow. Just, this is sick. This, this is my favorite moment of the podcast so far. This is yeah. sick for you to come on here and be like, everybody's a big baby. I mean, kind of. Dude. There's, there's, a, there's this assumption that like robot umps would, would fix absolutely everything. And fa- you know we wouldn't complain at all about this sort of thing. But we would still be whining about how the strike zone isn't right. And even if the robot technically got it right, like that, you know, you still have to, there's some human element that has to exist there. And you got to make the right call. And like, we just have to stop pretending like like fans have have all of the information at their fingertips and can imagine a baseball world in which every call is called perfectly. Because frankly, I don't want that. I'm fine with a little bit of human error in my sport. The players have it. The managers have it. If the umpires have it too, that's that's fine. I think we should fix blown calls, but I also don't think we should whittle down the edges so that we're just it's just an automated game sorry while we're banning the k-zone we have to ban mlb at bat game day we have to ban mlb game day because dude worse than the k-zone on the screen is people tweeting out screenshots of how a pitch missed by an inch and got called a strike Mm -hmm. yeah that's just like that that's so irrelevant it's not going to change the call and yeah you're right in that we've talked about this about robot umps all the time that it then makes the strike zone a, a weird existential question of what actually is the strike zone and how what's a way that you can hit it in a 3D way where it still counts as a strike and is that even a hittable pitch anymore as pitching and pitch design becomes more and more and more advanced? Is this just going to make hitting even harder? Maybe. Maybe. I do think that there are like plenty of you know home plate umpiring ticks that bother me as much as the next guy, but like it's just not worth the the energy it takes to complain about it. Yeah, I just and you know, trust me, if this if my team was getting shafted by blown calls left and right by umpires, I'd be on this podcast and one of my downs would be how bad the umpires are. Like I get it. You know, it always hurts a little worse when it's it's happening to your team. But guys, let's pump our brakes a little bit. Have the umpires made some bad calls this year? Yeah. Does the replay system really suck? Yeah. Does a K-Zone on the screen, I think, do more to enrage fans than actually give them any sort of knowledge about uh, a a certain pitch thrown? Yeah, I think so. But, I don't know. Screaming into the void about it ain't going to change anything. Just going to say that. Although, you know, here we are an hour and 40 minutes into our podcast. So We now pause for an hour-long interlude to listen to Joe West's Spoken Word Country Album. Mm-hmm. Everybody enjoy. Okay. All right, hit us with your ups this week, Bobby. Okay, we'll we'll make this quick. My first up this week is um, Donnie Stevenson. Are you familiar with Donnie Stevenson's work? I am not. You're not familiar with Donnie Stevenson's work? Nope. <laughs> Yesterday, after the Mets finally broke out and started scoring some runs against the Philadelphia Phillies, the aforementioned evil, terrible, awful, wrong, immoral Philadelphia Phillies, uh, Pete Alonso came out in the press conference afterwards and he said, you know, we yesterday we had a new hire come in and he got us right. His name is Donnie. And all the reporters were like, what are you talking about? And he was, what Donnie who? And he was like, Donnie, um, uh, Donnie, Donnie Stevenson. It's very clear that Pete was just making this guy up, but the rest of the Mets team decided to just run with it. And they asked, um, 
they asked Conforto about it and he was laughing. Uh, Steve Gelbs got the first question with Conforto and he was like, I'm, uh, Pete Alonzo mentioned a guy named Donnie Stevenson. Um, I've been working for the team for a while. I think I would have known about a new hire. Uh, who is Donnie Stevenson? It's like, oh, Donnie. I, lo- I love Donnie. He just gets our swing right. He just gets the boys ready. <laughs> and it's just all, it's an elaborate bit. But you know what? This is the type of shit that a good team does. Is they come out of a slump and they're very self-deprecating and they make up a fun little bit. You know? More bits from professional More bits baseball. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball bits. I'm- I'm all in baseball bits. <laughs> Shout out to Foolish Baseball. Shout out to Foolish. Next up for me this week, vaccine ambassador Miguel Cabrera. Oh, yes. Doing his part, partnering with the state of Michigan to get shots in arms, baby, to get that Fauci ouchie. And folks, we just. Get the, the Fauci out the no, don't say that. Come on. Keep oh, confine oh, that to Twitter. Oh, don't say that on our oh, podcast. Come on. Oh, Bob. <laughs> uh he is he volunteered to serve as the co-chair of the Protect Michigan Commission, uh, which is again just helping get shots and arms. Sounds, Sounds a little also, aggressive. Yes. <laughs> the little like like a like it also show. could be this yeah, the slogan for like a far right political candidate, but you know. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, he said the other day, uh, based on what I know from getting vaccinated already, the shots are nowhere near as bad as the virus. Our goal with the commission is to get as many people vaccinated as possible, and I hope my support toward that end is successful. Go off, Nikki. Hall of Fame baseball player, Hall of Fame dude. Great guy. And frankly, if I'm being honest, like the serious take about this is that I am glad that actually sports are doing what they can to encourage and incentivize people to get vaccinated. The Dodgers offering 20% off tickets to sit in a vaccinated fan section. That's dope as hell. Every baseball team do that. Pay less for your baseball ticket if you get vaccinated. You can afford to give 20% off when the ticket is $400. That is true. Yes, your margins on that are still pretty good. I'll leave that there. Okay, my second up this week is a uh, shout-out to shout-out producer Alex's mom. Uh, my second up this week is the 30th anniversary of Ricky Henderson steal- breaking the stolen basis record, uh, breaking Lou Brock's stolen base record, uh, just passed yesterday. And your mom coming in hot with the text, being like, you guys should talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about it. Uh, you know... I, I think that there could have been an argument for putting this in my down this week because of the state of the stolen base and how no one is ever going to sniff anywhere close to this record ever again without a serious paradigm shift in how we think about stolen bases and their value in the game or without some type of incentivization by Major League Baseball to make stolen bases easier, like something that they're trying in the Atlantic League with limiting pickoffs. Um but the story itself of Ricky Henderson breaking the record is very cool. Um, where the A's were on a road trip, uh, and you know Lou Brock traveled to Milwaukee, thinking that that would be the series that Ricky would break it, and he just decided not to steal any bases in that entire series because he wanted to do it at home. Which you know we don't talk a ton directly about Ricky Henderson on this podcast. He is the logo. He's just like the coolest baseball player ever. By, so by great. Like not even close. He's like the coolest baseball player ever. 
And this is just another indication of that. And shout out to your mom for reminding us of this great story. And so that makes my second up this week. Remembering that Ricky Henderson is the coolest baseball player of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he absolutely is. You want to talk real ambassadors for the game. This, This man's right here. No other words. Your third up this week? My third up this week. And Bobby, I, th- I think you will, you will appreciate this. Even though we, my baseball team um, took his wrath yesterday. You know who's doing well this year? Who's that? One Matthew Harvey. Hey. You know who has a four ERA this year and a three five FIP? One, one Matthew Edward Harvey. Matty Ed. The Dark Knight on the Baltimore Orioles is getting it done. Okay, so like Dark Knight Rises was definitely used like a hundred times as a headline already, right? Can we come up mm-hmm. with a third chapter of that? Dark Knight Ascends? <laughs> is that too biblical? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Batman Begins Again? Yes. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors, bro. Have you watched him? I mean, I don't, I, I don't care. I, it's all. Don't, I don't need it. I don't need to hear it. I need, you must have watched him against the A's, but you know, a lot of his starts have gone a couple good innings, maybe give up a solo shot here and there, and then like by the third time through the order, he's putting a couple guys on base and maybe giving up the back breaking three run home run, and that's why his fit looks good because like for ninety five percent of the time he looks pretty good, but like giving up four runs in the fifth inning is not good, and that's why he's, no, but. He does look like a competent major league pitcher again. He right. clearly I mean, is not he is, what he he's was. Giving he's up. not overpowering. He's not gonna. He's not going to outstuff you anymore. But the fastball still has a decent amount of life, a decent amount of run, and his breaking stuff has always been. He's always been able to spin it. He's always been a pitcher, so he can get by on a team like the Orioles, who needs any competent starting pitching right now because they're bad. Yeah, I know. Seriously, I mean, he's giving up home runs at a rate like like an astronomically low rate, which is again why he's why his peripherals look great, because you can get away with striking out uh, you know, six guys per nine if you've also given up two home runs on how the, the year. might have fallen. God, I know. You remember how we used to talk about Matt Harvey? Just Yeah, he used God. to be a motherfucker, dude. He used to just go out mm-hmm. there and shove. Yeah. He's still that guy. I mean his velocity, yeah, not not where it used to be, but I am rooting for him every step of the way it's been a journey and if he can find peace man i'm i'm happy i know you love him always have it's true he's your only mets jersey yeah i mean unless you count i the like the shitty jacob Degrom giveaways yeah i, don't I got, got a couple of those i'll get you a real mets jersey for your birthday this year uh right, let's do it okay my final up this week is guess what alex guess what I bought real-life tickets to a real-life baseball game this Let's week. Let's go, Dub, in the chat. It's not to the Dodgers. I didn't recently win the lottery. Um, I bought Angels A's tickets. May 22nd. Your boy will be there. Chilling in Anaheim. Going to grab some In-N-Out beforehand, probably. Going to head up to the cheap seats. Going to watch Mike Trout hit a dinger off Chris Bassett. I don't know who's actually going to pitch that day. But it's not going to be Jesus Lazardo. That could have been in your down this week. Uh, I am so excited. It, it's been so long. I'm not even going to know how to act 
at a baseball game. What do I do? This is the longest I've ever gone without going to a baseball game. Yeah. It's don't I mean, in this case, don't root 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 for the home team. Should I wear you. should I wear all A's stuff? A's unionize you the minor can. shirt, A's hat. It's not like the Angels you. fans will be offended. I know, right? They're not going to care. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, I can send you some merch too. I, if we want to, you know, one of our first interactions was you borrowing my, my Harvey jersey. So let's, let's come for <laughs> full circle right now. I know. It's a ridiculous story. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Shout out to the Angels for not gouging me and only charging me like 35 bucks for a ticket. Amazing. Yeah, we loved it. We love where that bar is, folks. <laughs> all right, that'll do it for Tipping Pitches this week, right? You did all three of yours. I did all three of mine. You did all three of yours. We we powered through. My file is two hours long, just a little over, but that's okay. Thank you for eliminating the great editing work I'm going to do to cut this one down to our yeah. absolute max length of an hour and 30 minutes. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, please go read Kyle's piece. Go check out his podcast, From Phenom to the Farm. Um, I know I mentioned last week, I teased a little bit of our uh, Unionize the Miners merch. We, we, we've come to a couple bumps in the road we're working our best to get those up live again uh, we appreciate everybody's patience and we will talk to you next week hello everybody uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that I love the most so we'll see you next week See ya!